Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. We are two sleeps away from the first college football playoff selection committee rankings of the year. They're coming out on Halloween. I will have to hand out candy and then watch those rankings and we will talk about them. But I am fascinated by what's going to happen there because I, I, I've been doing these resume rankings all year. I've been doing them every Sunday night. And as I was doing mine today, I was thinking about, well, this is kind of how the committee's doing it because they don't start until now. So presumably all of the, the preseason hype has, is filtered out of their deliberations. And so it should look something similar. And that's what I, I was wondering because the AP poll came out. Georgia was number one again. And I thought, okay, if, the, if Georgia had never been preseason number one and then not lost, would Georgia be number one now? And I think after the way Georgia beat Florida, there'd probably be more people who'd say yes. Who you know, They look at how they beat Kentucky, how they beat Florida, and say, yeah, they'd still be number one. I don't know though, because if you look, if you go by resume, there are other schools that might fit that bill. And so I am fascinated to see what the committee is going to do with that. Because I, I do think, like with Georgia, even if they're not number one in the first committee ranking, there's a chance they could be number one within a couple of weeks because they have a three game stretch coming up where Missouri comes to them, Ole Miss comes to them, and then they go to Tennessee. It's about as tough as three-game stretch as anybody in the country has this year. And so they're going to have a chance to show that they deserve to be number one. And I think if they do get through that unscathed, there's a really, really good chance that they are number one, whether they started out at number one or whether they move up that way. So I will be interested to see what happens. And then if, let's say, the committee does not make Georgia it's first number one. Do the AP poll and coaches poll then adjust to make somebody else number one, whoever whoever was number one in that first ranking? So I'm going to do the, the resume rankings. We will see how closely these match the top 10 of the selection committee rankings because I, I'm curious because I'm trying to do it the way they would be doing it this week where every week I just sort of start over and say, okay, who beat who, and how'd you play, who'd you play. Number 10 this week, the Louisville Cardinals. How in the world did this team lose to Pittsburgh? Well, we know how they lost to Pittsburgh. They just beat Notre Dame. It's a young team, lots of uh, transfers, Jeff Brom's first year. They're just trying to learn how to handle victory and handle success, and so they lost to Pittsburgh. But then they come back and thump Duke. Just, they shut them out. This was very impressive. And Louisville now in the driver's seat to get one of the spots in the ACC championship game. Florida State is the other team in that driver's seat. Now Louisville will have to face this week suddenly hot Virginia Tech. But they have a very 
distinct path to get to that ACC championship game. Miami's probably their toughest game left. If they can beat Virginia Tech and Miami, I think you're going to see them playing Florida State for the ACC title. Number nine, Alabama. I've got Alabama here. They lost to Texas. I'm keeping them below Texas because even though they both have one loss, the games have to matter. Like if if your records are identical and one of you beat the other one you played, you pro- I'm probably ranking you over the team you beat. So Bama's here, and I think Bama's got a chance this weekend to solidify a spot in the SEC championship game. It's not a guaranteed one if they beat LSU. They still have to go play Auburn. But if they beat LSU, they are very much set to get into Atlanta and get a crack at, we think, Georgia, probably Georgia. But this will be a fascinating game. Later in the show, we're going to talk to Shay Dixon from the Bengal Tiger on 3's LSU site about LSU's personnel issues in the secondary, which we know they've had not great play in the secondary, but they also have a lot of people out right now. So this game could be very interesting, could be a track meet. We know LSU's offense is is one of the best in the country. Can't wait for that. Number eight, the Texas Longhorns. They have one of the most intriguing games in the country this season. We'll talk a little bit more about the Big 12 in general when we get to the projected college football playoff and New Year's Six Bowls. But let's just short answer. The Big 12 this week is going to be bananas. So Texas playing Kansas State in Austin. Kansas State the last few weeks has looked incredible. They crushed TCU last week. Houston comes in. They beat Houston 41 to nothing. And they've been switching back and forth between Avery Johnson and Will Howard at quarterback. Will Howard got most of the snaps against Houston. Avery Johnson got most of the snaps against Texas Tech. They they split it fairly evenly against TCU. Texas doesn't know who they're going to get or what offense they're going to be looking at. And then meanwhile, that defense has been very good for Kansas State. And oh, by the way, Texas starting a backup quarterback. Now, Malik Murphy looked pretty good against BYU the other night, but this is a step up defensively with K-State. Speaking of Big 12 teams that have huge games, number seven, Oklahoma. They beat Texas. They also lost to Kansas this past weekend. Now, they didn't drop them a ton because, again, they have one of the best wins in the country. But I am a little worried. I worry with them going into Oklahoma State, Bedlam, Stillwater. This is the last Bedlam for the foreseeable future. But Oklahoma State does not want to play. They are mad that Oklahoma is headed to the SEC. And they are absolutely within their rights to be mad. They cannot play it if they want to. They don't want to play anymore. So they would love to send Oklahoma out of this rivalry with a loss. And Oklahoma needs to keep winning because not only is Oklahoma State sitting there with only one loss in Big 12 play, but so is Iowa State. So is Kansas. This is going to be a big week in the Big 12. Number six, Oregon. This is another one of those where The games have to matter. I have Oregon below Washington. If they played again, who would I pick? Probably Oregon. I think they're going to play again. I think there's a really good chance of that. Oregon looked incredible against Utah. That was one of the best games that anybody's played all year. They had very little trouble with what is a very good defense at Utah. And finally, somebody stopped a Utah offense that, you know, it wasn't, it was kind of being tied together with string. Now, 
Utah had, had issues before, but we saw them score on USC. Oregon's like, no, we're we're a different class. We're a step up in in competition from USC, and they just throttled the Utes in a very tough place to play in Rice Eccles Stadium. So Oregon, one of the hotter teams in the country right now. Number five, Washington. The Huskies made it look really hard against Stanford. Just like they made it look really hard against Arizona State the week before. I'm getting a little worried. They go to USC this week. USC is not out of the hunt in the Pac-12. Because remember, the Trojans lost to Notre Dame. Doesn't count in the conference standings. They lost to Utah. That's their one. They survived at Cal. 50-49 to when Cal did not convert two-point conversion. This one could be a shootout. You know, I, I don't know that Washington is equipped to stop USC's offense as well as maybe Oregon is, but Washington is equipped to score a lot of points on USC's defense, a lot. Later in the show, we're going to talk to Eric McKinney about where USC is at. He's from On3's site, wersc.com. There is a lot of drama, a lot of subplots, mostly around USC, like Washington they just need to kind of get back into the flow of things. They need to get back into playing dominant football. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against USC because I do think USC's offense can score on them a little bit. It is going to be a fun couple of weeks in the Pac-12 because you've got Washington-USC this week. You've got USC-Oregon next week. Number four, here's where I have Georgia. And I realize you may think that is incredibly low. It's too low. I get it. But if Georgia wins its next three games, which would be Missouri, Ole Miss, and at Tennessee, I probably will have Georgia number one in this exercise. Like, I, And I understand why you'd predict Georgia be number one. I get why they're predicted three-peat. I was at the Florida game in Jacksonville this past weekend. Georgia looked incredible. It looked like they, obviously they missed Brock Bowers, but they have plenty of ways to spread the ball around without him. It was very impressive. It was Maybe not quite as impressive as the way they just dump truck Kentucky, but it was close. And if they keep playing like that, they are going to be number one. Number three, Florida State. Better best win than Georgia, but I don't, I, I don't know. It's it's that LSU win is what's keeping them above Georgia right now for me. If Georgia beats Missouri, I probably flip them, and that's fine. Florida State just hang here. Just, you can hang in the top four, keep winning, and you will make the playoff. Florida State is the best team in the ACC. They should win every game left on their schedule. Miami's the toughest game left until maybe Louisville in the ACC championship. But they should keep winning. And it looks like they've settled into a group. They got pushed by Duke till the fourth quarter. They buried Duke in the fourth quarter and then just absolutely annihilated Wake Forest, which I know what you're thinking. It's, it's Wake Forest. But for Florida State... They hadn't beaten Wake Forest since 2018. It was a big step to go in there and have no problems whatsoever taking apart that team. So Chris Callahan says, sorry, and you can't have Georgia below Michigan who have played a worse schedule than Georgia. Yes, I can, Chris, because Michigan has beaten everybody the same way every time, and that's why Michigan is number two. Michigan just destroys people. Georgia hasn't just destroyed people. If Georgia starts just destroying people, then they'll be ahead of Michigan. But that's the deal. You've gotten the same performance out of Michigan every single game. They've been remarkably consistent. They don't have bad games. They don't have slow starts. Now, 
if they go to Penn State and they look bad, they look pedestrian, we drop them. That's that's how that works. But they've been remarkably consistent so far on the field. Remember, on the field. The news on Sunday night. Wall Street Journal reports that a contract extension that would have made Jim Harbaugh the highest paid coach in the Big Ten is now off the table. Now, you already knew that because you watched this show and you heard Chris Ballas say that on Thursday night. So I, I'm glad we, we've already covered that for you. But actually, it was Wednesday night. But that's where they're at right now. And it's this situation is not going away. It's not going to stop. The question is, does it affect Michigan this season on the field? My, my thought is it probably won't. My, my thought is there's nothing that the NCAA can do in the time frame. The Big Ten won't do it because it's bad for business. And then will Michigan voluntarily do something? I don't even know if you could because remember, you're dealing with the ultimate wild card in Jim Harbaugh who probably would fight anything. So right now, you've got Michigan getting back on the field against Purdue, getting ready to play Penn State the following week. We'll see what they do. But if they just keep destroying people, that's I feel pretty good about where they are. Number one, Ohio State. The win against Notre Dame, the win against Penn State. They got good wins. Have they looked great the whole time? Not, not entirely. That Wisconsin game was a tough spot for them. Road game right after a big emotional win. But the thing about Ohio State, the defense has been very good. It's been better than last year. I'm not sure the offense is, is where it was last year, though. It, they have, obviously, the most special skill position player in Marvin Harrison Jr., the, definitely the most special receiver in the country. Again, on Saturday night, when that game was tight, he makes a touchdown catch that probably only he could have made. And that is what wins them games. But it will be interesting when they get a Mecca Buka back how much more dynamic can that offense be? The running game was better with Trey Henderson back, but this is going to be a collision course between them and Michigan. And then we'll see what happens. It's it's going to be a lot of fun getting to that point. Those fan bases clearly hate each other and really hate each other right now because all the Michigan fans believe that the Ohio State administration team, whoever, that Ohio State is behind all of this. And Ohio State's like, hey, did you cheat when you beat us the last two years? Because that seems kind of important. So you've got all of that going on. It's going to make that rivalry even more spicy, as just as spicy as you can possibly imagine. I, I can't wait. This is going to just barrel to a really thrilling conclusion this season. Between that between Georgia having that that tough stretch of games right now, between what's going on in the in the Big 12, between what's going on in the Pac-12, it's going to be a lot of fun. When we come back, we're going to talk projected college football playoff, projected New Year's Six. I'm going to reveal my New Year's Six Bowl and college football playoff projections in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about prize picks. It is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. And it is the most fun way to win up to 25 times your money. Select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. It takes less than 60 seconds to do. I had one this weekend where I turned $50 into $150. 
by picking quarterbacks, combos of quarterbacks, actually pairs of quarterbacks, and how many touchdowns they would produce, either running, throwing, or catching. Caleb Williams and Michael Penix, Jordan Travis and Dylan Gabriel all produced a ton of touchdowns, and it turned 50 bucks into 150 bucks for me. That's all you got to do. Sign up for Prize Picks today. Use the referral code Andy, and they will match your first deposit up to $100. So you deposit $100, they will match that $100. Sign up for Prize Picks right now. Referral code Andy. You can play NFL, NBA, NHL, and of course, college football. We're going to make a guy named Dan really sad right now. Dan's in the chat. He says, this guy wants so badly for the Big 12 to win a natty. I guess everyone's getting sick of the SEC always on top. Okay, now it's time for our projected college football playoff, which you'll notice does not include a team from the Big 12. Sorry, Dan. Uh, here's why. There's three games this week involving teams that have one loss in Big 12 play. So by the end of the week, there will be three teams sitting atop the Big 12 with one loss in conference play. And there's a good chance that they're going to beat each other up a little bit. And you're probably getting an, a, a two-loss champ out of the Big 12 at the rate everything's going. So it, if you can get through with one loss, that's great. But I'm just not sure that's going to happen. So here are the games. You've got Kansas State at Texas. Remember, Kansas State has a loss to Missouri that doesn't count. Their only conference loss to Oklahoma State. Texas lost to Oklahoma. You've got Bedlam. Oklahoma has lost to Kansas. Oklahoma State has lost to Iowa State. Oh, yeah, Kansas and Iowa State. They only have one conference loss. Please. Yes, Iowa State. Matt Campbell did not forget how to coach people. They only have one Big 12 loss right now. It's to Texas. Uh, no, sorry, excuse me. Not to Texas. Uh, Kansas, their only Big 12 loss is to Texas. So the winner of each of those games will sit atop the Big 12. And then there's a good chance that with some crossover coming that they beat each other up. And then you've got the potential for maybe a rematch between Texas and Oklahoma in the big 12 title game. Maybe not because if K state wins that game in Austin, well, they would have the tiebreak over Texas and Texas would have two conference losses. So not only would Kansas have to lose another game, they'd have to lose two more to get knocked out of there in terms of, you know, losing to Texas. So that's the issue right there. It's going to be really hard. That's why I don't have one of the big 12 teams in the college football playoff right now. It's also why I don't have a Pac-12 team either. I think they're going to beat up on each other pretty good too. I'm not sure people get out of this thing unscathed. Maybe Washington wins out, goes undefeated. Last two weeks say that's probably not happening. Maybe Oregon wins out and is a 12-1 Pac-12 champ. And if they do, they will be in the playoff. I'm telling you right now, they will. But it's a tough road. So here's what I'm saying. Sugar Bowl, number one, Georgia versus number four, Ohio State. I think you know where I'm going with this. Rose Bowl, number two, Michigan versus number three, Florida State. This is definitely possible. If Michigan beats Ohio State and they're undefeated, they're in. Ohio State, because it has that Notre Dame win, and I don't know that Notre Dame is going to lose again. I think Notre Dame probably finishes 10-2. and two. 
Ohio State is going to be sitting up there looking real good at that point. And you could have the same situation you had last year with Georgia playing Ohio State in a semifinal game, which, by the way, was a classic. It's definitely doable. It's certainly possible. Like I said about Florida State, all they got to do is keep winning. And they certainly have the path to do that. They have the talent to do it, and they have the path to do it. So how high is my confidence that two Big Ten teams get in? It's not super high, but it's as high as my confidence that a Big 12 team gets in or that any Pac-12 team gets in. It is definitely a possibility. You don't all agree with me? Ram Spencer not getting two Big Ten teams in the playoff again this year? Maybe. I said that last year, and it did. It happened. So it is certainly possible that this winds up happening again. I don't know that it works as well the other way. If Ohio State beats Michigan, Michigan doesn't have the non-conference win, the, the signature win, to really hang its hat on at that point, especially depending on how Penn State does down the stretch. But it does, if, especially if Michigan wins in close or controversial fashion. So we'll see what happens. But the, the rest of the New Year's Six, the Orange Bowl, remember, still has to have an ACC team in it. So I put Louisville in the Orange Bowl against Alabama, which they would get the they also get the next highest ranked SEC team that didn't make the playoff. Cotton Bowl, I've got Oklahoma versus Oregon, which that would be a fun game. I, I think I would enjoy that one. Peach Bowl, Texas versus Notre Dame. And the Fiesta Bowl, Air Force versus Washington. You saw Air Force win in the snow against Colorado State. Colorado State fans flagged for throwing snowballs at Air Force players. But right now, as long as Air Force keeps winning, if they can go undefeated through the Mountain West, I think they get that spot that is reserved for the highest-ranked Group of Five team. If they don't, Tulane seems to be sitting there ready to scoop that thing up. So we will see what happens. But a lot of ball left to be played. You notice I predicted Georgia to finish number one. I had Georgia number four in the resume rankings. How does Georgia get to number one in mine? Well, they just got to keep winning because they are about to face a very, very tough stretch of games, but they look like they're playing the best they have all season, so they're ready for it. We talked to Jake Rowe from Dogs HQ after the Florida-Georgia game in Jacksonville to get his thoughts on the Bulldogs. Joined now by Jake Rowe of Dogs HQ here in Jacksonville, and this is the the game Georgia needed. Yeah. This was control at the line of scrimmage. Little adversity. Yeah. With Florida, you know, their scripted first drive going well. And then Georgia just shuts it all down. Yeah, and I think the biggest key was was negative plays and creating those. Georgia had struggled to do that with consistency throughout the first few games. They come out tonight or today and they get four sacks. And mm. that's a third of what they had coming into the game. Kind of did this last year by week. I think they had seven sacks in seven games. Then they had 28 after that. So I think that was something you really needed to see from this Georgia team. And, you know, Tyron Ingram Dawkins getting him back. We didn't even think he was going to play. Yeah. Um, he was only weight bearing last week. And, and he had he had had such a good spring and summer that you thought, all right, well, this is a guy that can help Georgia if he ever gets healthy. And he sure made his presence felt with that strip sacks. First fumble Georgia got all year. Well, and, and it's interesting because all of the talk was about what they would be without Brock Bowers. But – also, you didn't think about what they'd be with some of the guys that got back from injury. Sure. Lad McConkey, a healthier version of that. It certainly seemed like he helped, you know, 
pick up some of the production from Bowers. Yeah, and I still think you're you're feeling some of the effects of Bowers' red zone stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his ability to create things for other people down there. Um, you know, Georgia was hit and miss, and, and I'm sure Mike Bobo would probably tell you he'd like to have a player to call back or Carson Beck or however those got called, some of those run-run passes. But Lab McConkey was massive in yeah. this game. That that um, that touchdown, the 41-yard touchdown mm-hmm. that they gave Georgia the lead was kind of vintage, you know, Lab McConkey. There are some guys that are like stack monsters. They're, they're great in, in the – in the stack, the offensive lineman, defensive lineman, he's a space monster, and he just finds it, he's, he feels it, and he did a great job there, and that was that was what he can bring for the offense. Well, I think the other thing that probably gives the the coaching staff some solace and, and makes everybody feel better going forward is Carson Beck didn't need Brock Bowers as a security blanket. He could spread it around to a bunch right. of different receivers, and the offense could move. Yeah, for sure. And they really, even without Bowers, attacked the middle of the field incredibly yeah. effectively. Bowers is – I mean, uh, Beck has had this thing this year where he still missed some of them today on some of those deep shots. But that 10 to 25 in the middle of the field, he's he's just lethal. That's where he's been at his best. And and I thought he did an incredible job with that. I mean, three plays, 40 yards or more for that offense. That's exactly what they needed with Bowers out. The other thing about it is they didn't seem to let up when they got the big lead. That, that was another thing that, you know, the Kirby Smart teams – that have been very good always keep the pedal down when they have a team down. And it seemed like that was not a problem for them. No, I mean, maybe a little, you know, I think they probably did come out in the third quarter thinking that they were going to continue to run the ball mm-hmm. as well as they did. You know, there was some middle eight stuff there that yeah. you're kind of like, well, they, they are being a little bit conservative and trying to run some clock. But when they turned it on, when they were like, okay, we're going to attack, it was it was kind of I mean Florida really didn't have an answer for it and there's no better example of that than that final touchdown drive George Mix running pass yeah and, and finally just they had to they got stuck in third and long and there was yeah. nothing they could do and they kind yeah. of bullied their way into the end zone for for a touchdown yeah. to kind of put the exclamation point on it yeah and it, it's it goes back to stuff we talked about at the, the beginning of the season it feels like this team passes to set up the run a lot better than it runs to set up the pass that's this team that that is this team and and listen I don't know that that's going to be the same every week because I think uh, you know body of work you've thrown enough that teams are going to have to respect it so maybe they play you different you look go out there and you're playing you too high so you're mm-hmm. going to run it early um i thought georgia ran the ball effectively early in this game and yeah. that was probably a big difference in some of those big plays that they got but ultimately i mean they they i mean they they passed a big test without brock Bowers. well and and it only gets tougher the tests get tougher as yeah. you go because you missouri ole miss at tennessee that's a a stretch that when we were at the beginning of the season talking about Oh, schedule's easy. This yeah. is not easy. That stretch is not easy. No, it's not. And, um, you know, Missouri's a good football team. Uh, they're going to have a bye before Georgia. They're off tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that Georgia's going to have to contend with, a fresh, you know, well-coached football team. And uh, Georgia gets them at home, you know, and they kind of get their Georgia's version of the 12th man involved yeah. in those games, which I think is going to be pretty helpful against two offenses that have good playmakers, good quarterbacks, and can create plays of their own. Yeah, it, and it does feel like Georgia, you know, We've seen Georgia start slow. We've seen Georgia turn on the Jets with with the Kentucky game. This was – I don't know if it's even a slow start because it, it, Florida had a really good script. Mm-hmm. They fed Eugene Wilson. Yeah, It was actually what Kirby Smart said was going to happen on Monday. Right. But then Georgia just figured it out and dealt with it. They did. And, and really, honestly, it was a – it was coming up with a big play on that second drive, that strip sack on mm-hmm. third down yep. um, that kind of got, the, got things going for them. And, and that's something that – you know, this defense is not what it has been the past couple of years. It's still really, really good. I right. think a lot of teams in college football would love to have it. But if they can start to get kind of that turnover 
um, you know, negative play thing going, I think that th that, yeah. that can take this defense. It's hard to adjust when you had straight aliens yeah. for two no years. Doubt. I mean, that, that's what people don't understand. When, when you had a, a defensive line in 2021 with four first-round draft picks yeah. playing regularly, yeah. and really, really five, I mean, Nolan Smith too. Sure. So, I mean, it's just – it's not going to be like that most years. Yeah, they won a national championship with six of their front seven going yeah. in the first round of the draft. Golly. And the other one winning a Buckus Award. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of how that operated. And uh, I always felt like it was going to be a little bit of a step back. I still think they're real fundamentally sound. And, you know, maybe sometimes they're going to have to give up some of the run plays that Florida gave them to mm -hmm. them today so that they can maybe generate a little bit more negative plays in, in that regard. But, um, you know, tonight was, a, was an instance of Georgia's defense and offense, you know, just kind of they just never stopped and they kind of yep. came up with the plays over and over. Well, and, and the play that all the Florida people are talking about, the fourth down play early in the game, Georgia did a great job of stopping that. That was a that was a case of eye discipline where if you if, if somebody messes up there, they're gonna get that first down, and maybe they do go score again because they they had scored Not only a touchdown. First, first down, they might have gotten a lot more. Than right. That if, if one guy, you could have been looking there. at a fourteen three game at that yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 100%. And they stopped it. I mean, that was that was something that Georgia did well in a big moment. Um, you know, there were a lot of those tonight, and those are listen when Florida won seventeen out of twenty. The team in blue and orange made all of those plays. Yep. And now Georgia made those tonight. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear Florida, you know, Billy Napier talk about it because Georgia is clearly the standard to which they want to achieve. And right. uh, this is the measuring stick. And then they ain't there yet. And I'm sure Kirby would like to keep it that way forever if he can. Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about those aliens a minute ago. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you looked at that game, a sophomore, a freshman coming up with sacks in that game, a, a redshirt sophomore. I mean, they've got them. They're, they're, they're just young aliens. Keeping them healthy yeah. and having <laughs> yeah. a hard time kind of bringing them along. But that's that's one thing that's going to be key for this team going forward. Missouri, uh, 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 Ole Miss, Tennessee mm -hmm. is making sure that that those guys continue to progress so that they can make the plays like they did tonight when they need them most. Adorable little baby aliens <laughs> doing great. Jake Rowe, thank you so much. You got it, dude. I like those cute little aliens. They're not adult, full-grown aliens yet, but they're they're – they are the little baby aliens at Georgia. And the problem is for everybody else that they got to play, they're, they're, they are growing up fast. And so, yeah, Georgia, no Brock Bowers. They still figured it out. It was very impressive. Uh, do want to talk about the Gators and what happens next for them. But first, do want to answer Brandon's question in the chat. What about James Madison? Can they get a good bowl for going undefeated? And they are – on pace right now, they're 8-0 no. and, and playing in the Sun Belt, which is a good league. Unfortunately, Brandon, they're getting screwed by the NCAA because they have a rule that says when you transition from FCS to FBS, you can't play in a bowl right away. So they're still in the transition period and they are not allowed to play in a postseason game. So they couldn't play in the Sun Belt Championship either. It's ridiculous because basically it exists so you don't have a, a really he senior heavy FCS team that bumps up so they can have one good year in the FBS and then bumps back down. And, and to make sure that when you do move up to the FBS that you plan to resource the program properly. Well, clearly the program is properly resourced. Clearly they're doing everything right. They're winning every game. They should have gone to a bowl game last year. And it's just wrong. They, they need to issue a waiver and say, let them play in a bowl game because they've had a fantastic season and they deserve it. Uh, another team that deserves it. We'll we'll talk about some opening lines here for this week that came out on Sunday. 
Another team that deserves a chance to play in a bowl game this year, Jacksonville State. Rich Rodriguez's team in its first year in FBS play. Well, guess what? This week, the Gamecocks of Jacksonville State play the Gamecocks of South Carolina. It's a cockfight. This one started off Sunday morning. South Carolina minus 17 and a half. Apparently, people have been watching their Tuesday and Wednesday football, and they know Jacksonville State is no slouch. So that, that number's gone down to 14 and a half. That was a very intriguing line, juicy line that came out Sunday morning. Here's some of the other early lines. LSU at Alabama. Bama now a three and a half point favorite in that game. That's a hard one to predict. Later in the show, we'll talk to Shea Dixon of On Threes, the Bengal Tiger, about LSU's secondary and where they're at going into this game. They've been much maligned, about as maligned as LSU's quarterback and receivers have been celebrated, which is <laughs> quite a bit. Washington at USC. Washington is a three-point favorite on the road. We'll talk to Eric McKinney from WeRSC.com about the Trojans and how he feels like this matchup kind of works out a little better for USC than maybe the one against Oregon the following week. Kansas State at Texas. Texas is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. This is a tricky one right here because it is very hard to judge. you got Malik Murphy making his second start for Texas. You've got who knows what K-State will do offensively because they just stick with whoever's hot between Will Howard and Avery Johnson, and it's... It, it can be different. They run a lot of the same stuff, but they do it differently. So it it's a fascinating matchup, and the way K-State's played on defense lately has been lights out. Texas A&M at Ole Miss. A&M survived South Carolina. They, they played pretty well against South Carolina. They go to Oxford. Now, this, was a fit, this feels like a fishy line. Like, Texas A&M has not played all that well all season. Ole Miss has been great at times. But Ole Miss only a four-and-a-half-point favorite in this game at home. This one seems a little weird. This is a kind of what-does-Vegas-know-that-we-don't situation. But no matter what happens with the line, if Ole Miss beats Texas A&M, Aggies fans are going to get start getting upset. It's, it's about to get real if they are not happy with Jimbo Fisher, and they are not. And I don't know that... There's much he can do at this point to make them happy because this season's not going to end in an SEC West title. It's not going to end in a way that that they want, and it's now year six. So at what point do you get where you're supposed to be going? And I think if the losses mount up, and that would be Ole Miss, LSU, like those are the two that, that you would worry about with A&M right now. I just don't know. I don't know where you go from there. I don't. We got to talk about our favorite part of any weekly set of lines and totals. The Iowa total. I was at Northwestern. The total opened at 30 and a half on FanDuel. Now, I, I know that there are some other books. I, at least one of the book had it at 29 and a half. I wonder if the betters will bet it down below 30. Remember, Iowa, Minnesota started off I believe it opened at 34 and a half, was bet down to 30 by kickoff. Will this one kick off below 30? That's the question. Will, will it hit under? Oh, yeah. It'll be under 30 and a half. Of course it will. The Iowa under, by the way, six and two. Six and two this year for the Iowa under. One other line of note, Arkansas at Florida. 
The Hogs coming off a loss to Mississippi State. Then they had an open date. They fired offensive coordinator Dan Enos. Kenny Guyton, former backup to Braxton Miller at Ohio State, he will be calling the plays for the Hogs when they go to see the Gators. Now, this is a big one for Florida. I said we're going to talk about Florida coming out of the Georgia game. That is what we're doing right now. This game is huge. Florida, if there is a must win this season for the Gators, this is it. This is the game that they, if they win, it is win number six. It gives them a bowl game. It gives them 15 extra practices. It gives them a chance to work with all those young players and give them the extra time and practice they need to get them ready for next season. Because it's really about Florida's youth. How good are their young players? I think if you if you watch the first series of the Georgia game, they're force-feeding Eugene Wilson. There's a reason for that. There's a reason Kirby Smart brought him up in his press conference un, unasked. Somebody asked a question about Ricky Pearsall. He turned it into an answer about Eugene Wilson. Those are the types of players. Shamar James, who hurt his knee because of some new turf that hasn't hadn't quite taken on the field in Jacksonville and then played hurt and ended up aggravating it later in the game. Shamar James at linebacker. That's the type of player that Florida has to build upon. Those are players that, that people like Kirby Smart wanted in recruiting. Florida does not have a roster full of people that they beat out Georgia or Alabama or Texas or Oklahoma for. That's not who they have. They are getting some more of those players. If you look at the recruiting class they have for 2024 committed, there are quite a few more of those. They're working on a few more that they hope will be in that class. But DJ Lagway, the quarterback, is, is a guy that a lot of people wanted. Uh, LJ McCray, the defensive end who just committed from Daytona Beach, he's one that everybody wanted. They've got to get more of that. The difference on the field against Georgia was talent. And you know, I'll take you back to that fourth and one play on Florida's 34. Early in the game, Florida's trailing 10-3. And everybody's like, well, why are you going for this? You got to go for that. Now, you may disagree with the play call. This was the play call where Graham Mertz runs up like he's going to do a, a quarterback sneak. They snap it between his legs to Trevor Etienne. It was a run pass option for Etienne, and he ends up getting tackled by Smile Munden. It was not a terrible play call either. Smile Munden makes a really great play, but it was not really a choice. And you, I know what you're saying. Fourth and one on, the, on your own 34 feels like a choice that you should definitely seriously consider. I don't think they had a choice. I think they had to be aggressive. They were going to lose unless they were aggressive at every turn. You either die slowly or you die quickly and they died quickly. But at least if you die quickly, you you did it, give it trying to give yourself a chance to live. Here's Georgia defensive tackle Zion Logue on that play because he was he wasn't surprised they went for it, but he was as surprised as you at how it went. I was expecting the Philly shove, like everybody tries to tries to duplicate. Um, but, or I knew they were going to try to hit it yeah. sideways on like a, on a jet or something. But not a lot of teams just try us in the middle. Like I, I want teams to yeah. try us, but they, they just really don't. So you know, we know we have our some, like one of the great uh, secondaries. They're going to get to the ball and uh, cause havoc. Yeah, not not a lot of people want to try that that D line with all those NFL dudes on it. And yeah, if Florida had a bunch of 
dudes on the offensive line that they beat out Georgia for, they probably would have quarterback sneaked it. But they don't have that yet. And the question is, will people be patient enough with Billy Napier to allow him to sign a couple of more classes like that? Because the end of the season, the, the, the next part of the schedule is very tough. They got to go to Missouri. They got to go to LSU. Florida State comes to Gainesville after Thanksgiving. Those games are very hard. The game they can win right now, the one that feels the most winnable, is this Arkansas game. Obviously, the Hogs have a big reason to want to come into Gainesville and win. They are trying to save Sam Pittman's job. And it feels like Arkansas is trying to give Pittman every chance it can to save his job. Instead of firing Pittman, they allow him to fire Enos. The Gators need this. They need that sixth win. This one is going to be a very intense game because I know Arkansas is coming to play because, again, they're playing for the coach they love. This one's going to be one to watch. It's a, a lot of games with a lot of really high stakes that you're thinking, well, this one has no stakes whatsoever in terms of the top of the conference. No, but it is a very high stakes game. So tune in. Florida and Arkansas, because this is a big one for Florida. Florida is going to have to win this one and then be patient with Billy Napier because I don't think they have a choice. So his buyout is such that he ain't going anywhere. So you better hope he wins this one and he gets those extra practices and he can help those young players along a little bit faster because that is that is the goal at this point. So that Florida-Arkansas game, yeah, strap in. It's going to be a fun one. Next up, though, we head out west. The Pac-12 has some very cool games coming up. USC, they play nothing but exciting games at this point, it seems, other than that Notre Dame game. But the Arizona game was wild. The Utah game was crazy. And that Cal game was absolutely bonkers you had the protest you had the field goal that was in the first half but after halftime and they won 50 to 49 when cal's two-point conversion attempt failed eric mckinney of wrsc.com joined me to talk about what usc does from here because they're not out of it in the pac-12 race and they got washington coming in we are joined now by eric mckinney of on threes we rsc and eric it seems like you cannot get away from uh, the nail-biter football games. A 50-49 to 49 USC win at Cal. It started with a protest, uh, included a first-half field goal attempt and a first-half timeout after halftime. What, what am I missing here? What else? <laughs> You're missing all, all the lead changes, right? The two-point conversion to try to win it right at the end. I mean, it, it, had, it had everything. It's... It's wild. I, I I don't know how this team managed to get this exciting because it shouldn't be this exciting in a game against Cal. You'd expect that maybe next week against Washington. And I think that's probably, I would imagine that's probably what USC fans fear is that if this is the, the, the performance against Cal, what is it going to look like against Washington? Because it kind of feels the same as Arizona going into Notre Dame. This This was supposed to be the boring week. The Cal week was supposed to be the boring week. You had Lincoln Riley's illness early in the week. 
you had everything that you talked about in the game. And this was in in that final six game run of this season, which as soon as the, the schedule was posted, this is where everyone's attention went. The final six games, you had Notre Dame, you had Utah, you had this one against Cal and then Washington, Oregon, UCLA to finish it. This was supposed to be kind of the get right game where you get ready for Washington coming in. And this is just the team. This is the team now. You, you assume every single game is going to be full of kind of defensive lapses and a ton of points for the other team. If they have a quarterback that hasn't set kind of career highs recently, they will in this game <laughs> against USC. We've seen that a couple weeks in a row here. Uh, and and that's just that's just what it is. You hope that everything kind of pieces together for this Washington game. And Lincoln Riley is he's adamant. He's adamant that it can and and that it can happen on both sides or all three sides with special teams there included. Uh, you haven't seen it yet, but you know where the talent is. So you're inclined to believe him a little bit, but yeah. boy, th this feels like the last week where you can, you know, or, or sorry, it's, it's over your time's up. This was the last week where you can play like this and get a win. It, I mean, the challenges are, are crazy coming up now. Well, uh, so Lincoln Riley was asked after the game and it, it the, the way the question was phrased sounds like a, are you going to fire Alex Grinch? Why have you not fired Alex Grinch kind of question? And I found his answer very interesting. So let's let's listen to that. Again, again you know, you guys found a way to win. Um, 49 points, you know, given up tonight. Uh, you mentioned the errors in that first half. Seems like, again, you know, some of the things that we've seen consistently throughout this season defensively. If those things continue, you know, do you sense kind of a, a change being needed to be made in this team's defensive philosophy and staff personnel? Any thoughts on that? I'm gonna try to try to beat Washington next week. You know, those are my thoughts on it. that's that's my job is to get this team ready. That's uh, sitting five and one in the best conference in America to try to go win it, and uh, that's where my focus is. Um, the reality is, uh, do we need to? Uh, are there areas where we have to be better defensively? Of course there is, all right? But the flip side of that is, you know, offensively, you can't sit there and put them in bad positions. You know, we can't give up, you know, another, you know, couple of kickoffs where we put them in terrible field position or some three and outs. Or, I mean, like, you know, the, the, the turnover there at the end is the perfect example. Like defense, they do their job. They get the offense to turnover and, and then one freaking play and they're right back out there with terrible field position. That's not bad defense, that's bad offense. That's bad team football. And that's some of what we have now. Are there some things uh, defensively that have to get better for us to do it? Yeah, there's some things offensively that have to get better. Uh, there's some things on special teams that have to get better. That's the that's the ebbs and flows of this season. I mean, you just, you know, week to week, you never know. I mean, if I'd have told you last week that Washington's gonna win a game uh, at home and not score an offensive touchdown, you wouldn't have believed me. Everybody would have said, oh, shoot, they're the, this and this offense in the country. Like, that's every week, man. The, the, there's a lot of parity. There's a lot of back and forth, and you got to find a way to get it done. And so um, hopefully we can keep finding a way to get it done. And with the fight we showed today, I wouldn't count us out. Thank you, Coach Riley. It's, it, it's crazy because he says they need to play better complementary football. The offense scored 50 points. Feels like it did its job. 
Yeah, and and the defense though, there was a stretch where Cal had I think it was seven points in six possessions. I mean, Justin Wilcox pointed this out at the game. USC had 18 possessions in that game. And and that's kind of what we've been trained now to think about this defense, where it's like it's this uh it's it's sort of this price is right defense where it's like how many points and yards can you give up and stay just below that number that the offense scores and and that's kind of how things are but he's always right the offense is his he he's in control of the offense he feels more comfortable it, it feels like certainly to me he feels more comfortable kind of knocking the offense and we didn't do our job we need to to do this better than kind of throwing things at the defense because they hear it enough. I mean, that that's the defense is the number one, two, three, four, five, six talking points after after every game, it seems, because last year they were bad. I mean, bad like bad, bad. And this year the numbers aren't better. In fact, they're they're worse in a lot of cases. So he's he has this way of saying as long as you win the game chaos is going to take care of everybody sort of around you and you can keep bouncing up in the rankings as long as you post wins and they doesn't really matter how they look you just have to do it so yeah it, i mean it, it's definitely notable that when he's asked about the defense he still finds a way to talk about offense i i think part of it is because he's more in control of the offense but also part of it is why i think you're in this problem in the first place is that there's so much focus on offense 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 and and what that can do and i know college football has changed a little bit you can't just win with defense now but boy it's it's nice to have one i mean it's nice, <laughs> nice to be able to know hey we can shut these guys down if we really need to and it just it it has not been the case this year. Utah is not good offensively. Cal is not great offensively, and they've kind of done whatever they wanted for long stretches, not not entire games, but long stretches the last two weeks. Well, fortunately for USC, their next opponent is not. Oh wait, no, their next opponent is Washington. Michael Penix Jr., Roma Dunze. I can go down the list, but it, it is one of the best offenses in the country. He's not wrong, though. They did get kind of shut down by Arizona State a couple weeks ago. But it, it's interesting because he, he talks about that, like, oh, these anomalies happen. But actually, with USC, there's never an anomaly. Like, they're not good on defense any week. Yeah, I mean, and so this one becomes, do you win it 62 to 59, or do you come out on the wrong side by by a pretty lopsided score like it the the offense and again we're talking about the offense because the defense doesn't really fluctuate you you know they're going to give up points and they're going to give up a bunch of yards the offense is the thing that has to win these games and we we're talking last year okay maybe we don't have to do this next year and he, here we are i mean it's it's the season is winding down and this is exactly what they're going to have to do the last three games. They're going to have to win it with offense. And Washington, to me, of, of the next two weeks, and I, I know you want to talk Washington and not look ahead yeah. to Oregon. Oh, look ahead to Oregon. 
but Washington, you, USC seems to, and I'll look stupid next week when Washington wins this by 35, but USC seems to match up better with Washington, especially because it's home. It's, it's at the Coliseum. Yeah. Than they do with Oregon. Washington doesn't particularly get after the quarterback that well. Uh, and it's less of like a, a power running game. The, what what yeah. Oregon does feels like it may, may not line up well with what USC can do defensively. But Washington, the, there's a bit of a blueprint out, I guess. They, they've had some close games recently. I mean, Stanford mm-hmm. was was right in it till the Way end. Way too close. Yeah. And that's a Stanford team that USC blew out earlier this year. I know Stanford's getting getting better, getting better. Uh but it but that's kind of the, the way the next two weeks read to me is that USC may have a better shot against Washington than against Oregon. But it's gonna take it they're gonna need some turnovers. They're gonna need the the one or two defensive stops that they get and they're gonna need to score a bunch because Washington could kind of trip and fall for for 42 points <laughs> like in this one yeah no but I, I think you're right i think that stylistically usc and washington match up better than usc and, and oregon match up usc and oregon feels a lot more like usc and notre dame oregon maybe a little flashier than notre dame but at the end of the day they're still trying to stuff you on defense and run it right down your throat on offense which that doesn't seem to be something usc wants to handle no, no. And Oregon can get get a little bit gadgety and, and a little trickier. And USC's defense, in terms of maintaining kind of discipline with their eyes and rush lanes and all of that stuff, can get can get wild uh, at times. Yeah. And so, again, I know Washington can do some of that, too. They're, they're a little bit uh, more exotic with this stuff than the previous one. But, again, and, and maybe it's at home and – we may find out about 20 minutes into this one that it is it is not an evenly matched game, but but that's what it feels like going into this one. And and it's funny because he's you know he can ignore the the Notre Dame loss and and say they're one they have one loss in conference they're in it and he's not wrong. Like if they win out, they'll be in the Pac-12 championship game. So that that's the thing they 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 can still hang their hats on that question is will they be able to at the end of the week and it's it's really tough because again you had the first six games that were so clearly warm-up games and i was surprised lincoln riley even said that around that time he said hey when this schedule came out we knew what was waiting for us the last six games of that schedule and coaches never never talk about that right i i, I don't yeah. even know who we're playing in two weeks we're only worried about this one no they they knew what this was Notre Dame seemed like your first big, big test, and and you failed it. I mean, you, you lost by 28, didn't really look that close for big chunks of it. Then you get Utah at home. Okay, you come back, bounce back. This is not – it's it's a very good Utah defense. This is not a great Utah team, as Oregon just showed this past weekend. And you lose that one, and somehow – he's still talking about no no no. we're still in this we still got this and you're right that he's that he's not wrong i mean it, it's uh, it's crazy here's your test you lost it no we're still in it okay well now here's your test you lost it no no no. we're still in it and then so they can if, if they win the next three games they still technically 
control their own destiny in, in terms of getting to the conference championship game. That's exactly right. So he gets to say it as long as they keep winning. But then the hard questions come once that next loss comes. So Eric McKinney, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, get your heart rate down a little bit because I'm sure we'll be back up on Saturday. Yeah, I've been expecting a, a pretty crazy one on Saturday. We'll see if the teams can deliver. I think they will deliver. And I also think Alabama and LSU are going to deliver a shootout of their own. And after you hear Shea Dixon from the Bengal Tiger, you'll probably be even more convinced of that because LSU's defense is going to be pretty shorthanded. Here's Shea. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Joined now by Shay Dixon of the Bengal Tiger on Three's LSU site. And Shay, you wrote a story last week that very much got my attention because LSU is going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama in a game that likely will determine who wins the SEC West. And basically, the headline of the story is, will any of LSU's four transfer corners play against Alabama? Which is one of those, like, gulp, do what now? <laughs> And for a team that already is uh, one of the worst at defending the pass in the country. Um, but yes, they took four transfer corners this offseason with the hope of all four of them contributing in a big way. They only returned one scholarship corner from last year's team who only played on special teams. He had no cornerback starts or reps a year ago. So they took J.K. Johnson out of Ohio State. In the fall, he has season-ending surgery. So he was out from the start. Denver Harris, Texas A&M, a guy who'd been – Suspended half the year uh, with the Aggies has already been in and out of uh, what Brian Kelly calls availability uh, in games this year. And this past week or two weeks ago, I should say, uh, did not see playing time. And Deuce Chestnut from Syracuse, who was an all ACC performer a year ago when they took him, also sort of in the doghouse of sorts. Brian Kelly has not gone into too much detail, but has said that both of them are on the team, are on scholarship, but are not practicing and are not available you get to the fourth guy in Zion Alexander, the one guy who's been the consistent one, the eight starts and uh, leading the team uh, in every corner uh, in reps, snap count this year in a meaningless game, which this happens, but against Army, you're blowing him out. It's halftime. He picks off a Hail Mary pass, basically, tries to return it, and he gets injured. And now Brian Kelly said he's going to be out at least a few weeks. That means he's probably not playing against Bama. So I lay it out for you like that. And it seems like they might not have any of the four for Alabama, which is a big issue for them. So who would be starting at corner if, if none of those four are playing? Sage Ryan is a guy that has obviously been around this program a few years. In fact, he picked LSU over Bama in a very tight race uh, a what, few years back. He's a junior now, but he has started a good bit at corner, especially with those transfers in and out of the lineup. So he's a lot to start. But after that, they're turning probably to true freshmen. If not, they'll go to that one guy who I said was the only cornerback they returned from a year ago, LaTerrence Welsh. He's yet to earn a start yet in his college career. Could it come in Tuscaloosa? Maybe so. Because of the other options, only one of them has a start under their belt. That's true freshman Ashton Stamps. 
I think it'll be one of those two guys unless Denver Harris gets himself out of whatever doghouse he's in, and then he would be the starter. Availability. I like that's a good way to put it. Uh, he's he's in availability or out of availability. One, one of he's not available right now. But that is a it's so strange because we talk about that and, and it does seem to be a big problem, especially against a quarterback in Jalen Milrow, who is a very good thrower of the deep ball. But on the other side, LSU's offense has hit its stride. Jaden Daniels, probably the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas having incredible seasons. How weird is it to see this team that seemingly can't be stopped on offense just can't get it together on defense? Yeah, well, it's you think back to just how crazy is it to see an LSU offense do this? We saw it in 2019 and thought it would never be replicated. Granted, that team had 15 games, so they put up some pretty monster numbers. But LSU, this team is on pace in the regular season to match those numbers. It has been unbelievable to watch. But that year in 2019, they also had a ton of guys who now play in the NFL on defense. LSU maybe doesn't necessarily have that this year and certainly have fallen off from the defensive backfield performance from where they're normally at. This is a school that can rightfully say we are DBU up there with the Ohio States, the Bama's across the past decade, two decades. What's the wildest for me, Andy, is forever through all the Les Miles years, LSU fans, they could stop anyone's offense. That didn't matter. They just prayed one day, give us an offense. Now they have the number one offense in college football, but DBU is gone. These are transfers who now aren't available and you're turning to true freshmen and they haven't, none of these guys are five stars. Not that their rankings are everything that matters, but it's such a flip of the script from where they were 10 years ago to where they are right now. I, I covered all of it uh, over the past 15, 20 years for LSU. I didn't think I would ever sit here talking with you about, boy, nobody can stop LSU's offense, but that defense is, oh man, how much can Bama put up on him? It is a wild thing to think about. And LSU even throws the tight end now sometimes too. It's like all of all of the things they wished for have come true and all of the things that they were used to are gone. It, it is it, it, very strange, but let's let's talk a little more about that offense because it is on a fairly historic pace right now. Jaden Daniels was good coming into the season, but what has changed, you know, as the season's gone on that's made him even better? I think we saw it at Arizona State early in his career that he was a highly efficient passer, didn't turn it over. And when he got to LSU in year one, he's learning the system. He's getting on the same page as what the coaches want and getting a feel for his receivers and the O-line and everything else. And remember, he was the number one dual threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school, signing with Arizona State. So last year we saw him do it with his legs a lot and he didn't turn the ball over much, but this offseason, even Brian Kelly would say he's got to take risks. Sometimes a turnover is okay. If those other five or six times you're scoring a touchdown on those deep balls, that's what he's done this year. And not only is he willing to throw it deep, he's like incredibly accurate. He's still a high 70% pass, you know, in the 70% uh, completion range for passing the football and is not having to run it as much. Now he's still, if you go look up the quarterback numbers, Andy, Yes, he leads is right up there with Penix and leading the nation in passing yards, but he's still top five among quarterbacks in rushing. He's just not having to do it all. They found balance with Logan Diggs coming out of the portal, who right now is the number three rusher in the SEC. That's something that nobody would guess that LSU uh, would have a leading rusher that wasn't Jaden Daniels. We thought it would just be a committee thing again. So 
I think the balance that Logan Diggs has brought, the O-line playing well, has allowed Jaden to say, okay, I can sit back here, go through my reads, take advantage, as you said, Mason Taylor at tight end, but really those big two at receiver, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. Malik's going to be a first-rounder. Brian Thomas has played himself into a top-50 pick. Who knows at this point how high Jaden Daniels could go in the NFL draft. So it's been really interesting to see that they circled these couple things, throw the deep ball more, be a little bit more aggressive in the offseason, and not only does he do both, but now, you know, you see PFF grades or whatever it is. He's the most efficient deep ball passer in the country. Like he went from he wasn't throwing any deep balls to, oh, OK, I'll be the most efficient guy in America at it. It's been fun to watch. And look, we saw it with Leonard Fournette. You'll remember this. He went into that Bama game. Mm-hmm. The Heisman was already won. They were bringing it down to New Orleans. It was his. And he ran for, what, 10 yards in that game, 30 yeah. yards and fell out of contention. So. Yes, Jaden is in the Heisman race. We've both been around long enough to know that it all hinges really on what happens in Tuscaloosa, considered this is a two-loss LSU team that's got a quarterback in the Heisman race. Yeah, this is definitely a make-or-break game for Heisman candidates on both sides of the ball. How can LSU win this game? Because we know they're probably going to have trouble stopping Alabama at times. But how do they how do they stay on the kind of pace offensively that they have against everybody else who may not have the kind of defense that Alabama has? I think that the offense will look. Bama's defense is among the best, if not the best, they will have faced. So they're up against that. Now LSU is still proven they'll keep scoring on anybody at this point. Every week they're just scoring, scoring, scoring. In fact, for the gamblers out there, LSU is not. They've hit every single over this year. No matter how high you keep putting it, they're hitting the over. So the offense is there. Here's the key to this game. And we could talk matchups all day and position battles. How many stops does LSU's defense get? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? Because as that number goes up, so does the percentage of winning this football game. I think a lot of people right now are trying in their head to say, Will it take three stops? Will it take four punts from Alabama? Will it take a turnover? Because in a game like this, I think that's going to be the difference. I think Bama's offense is good enough to put up points on a bad an LSU defense that hasn't been great. And LSU's offense, being the best in the country, will be able to score some points on Alabama, even if they are a very good defense. So it's going to come down to stops for LSU. That's at least in my opinion. Yeah, it's like watching a tennis match. How often does somebody break serve? And and you're absolutely right because and I do feel like that's how LSU games have gone. Like the the Ole Miss game and the Missouri game, prime examples of that. Ole Miss got a couple stops, and that's why LSU lost. Missouri could not, and that's why LSU won. Sure. And yeah, in that second half, LSU got stops in that Missouri game, and that's kind of what allowed them to, to pull ahead and then ultimately win that game. So I do. I think that's what it comes down to. And you mentioned a tennis reference. Let's just take it a step further there uh, on uh, the court or whatever, the clay, whatever you want yeah. to call it. Unforced errors. Un- that's really yeah. a key here. Do they turn the ball over? Are they shooting themselves in the foot? Are they racking up penalties to where you're always then behind the chains every few drives? Those are the kind of things that you have to minimize in a game like this. To be able to go into Tuscaloosa and win is very hard. Before, before Burrow and them did it, it had been – a long time since LSU had gone up to Tuscaloosa and won a football game. So we'll see. I, I know with the CBS doubleheader, we got a good game at uh, what the noon hour, 2.30, yep. and then 6.45, it kicks off uh, a number eight versus number 13 matchup here for 
what likely, and I don't want to discredit Ole Miss, they're still in this, but the team that wins this game has a very, very good shot of winning the West and getting to Atlanta. That's exactly right. Shay Dixon, big one this week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. That is going to be so much fun because, again, we're not used to that that Alabama LSU game being a shootout. It was it was somewhat high higher scoring last year. It ended on a, a two point conversion in overtime, but a true shootout like the, like the Alabama Tennessee game last year that would be quite a bit of fun. The, the 2019 game was was kind of like that, but it felt like LSU was kind of always two scores ahead. So uh, Alabama would score, but never really get quite back into contention. This one could be a lot of fun. Another game that could be very interesting, a huge one, if the visiting team can win. Nebraska headed to Michigan State. Nebraska's won three in a row. One went away from bowl eligibility, but the, the Cornhuskers... It's not out of the realm of possibility. They could win the Big Ten West. I know that sounds crazy, but look at what they've got left. Look at what they're doing. Steve Sipple from Husker Online joins us to talk about where Nebraska can go from here. Joined now by Steve Sipple of Husker Online. And you wrote a column coming out of the Nebraska-Purdue game. And I think if people around the country read it they'd go wait what but i think in lincoln it is becoming abundantly clear that this is this is a team that could potentially win the big 10 west yes andy here's the deal i mean some of this is if you have you know if you're in any division in any form of football and you have the best unit in the division you probably are going to be a contender right probably a, you know, a genuine, legitimate contender. If Nebraska, it's either Iowa or Nebraska that has the best defense in the Big Ten West. So and you can make a strong case for Nebraska. And and the schedule's very, I mean, everybody has a manageable schedule pretty much in the Big Ten. Uh, in, in the, in particularly the, the four teams in the race in the Big Ten West all have manageable schedules, but Nebraska is a certainly manageable. It's going to be, it's got to be really close. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, really hard to pick. Well, okay, Nebraska, three-game win streak. They're 5-3 and three right now. Mm -hmm. One win away from bowl eligibility. They're playing Michigan State in a manageable game this week. They get mm -hmm. Maryland in a manageable game next week. Mm -hmm. How big of a, a, an achievement would just getting win number six be at this point, given what they've been through in the past five years? Yeah, not, not Andy, not only given what they've been through in the past five years, but given what they've been through this season with injuries, which I can get to. But, yeah, when you frame it up in the context of, you know, Nebraska since 2016, yeah, it would be a significant achievement for these guys. Um, now, on the other hand, Andy, a lot of people thought this was a six to seven win team. Now, nobody was really I don't want to say nobody, but not many people were picking them to win eight. Um, or nine, but six or seven was was a was a reasonable expectation because of what they had coming back. It wasn't, and and right away, Matt Rule and his staff, Andy, they said upon taking the job, "Hey, we look at the talent here. It's pretty good. I mean, we're not, and we're walking into a situation where Nebraska had achieved. A, I think they were a three point one GPA. It was 
they had a record GPA. So the only reason I bring that up is because it wasn't a program in like shambles, you know, it right. wasn't, it wasn't a culture that was just so horrible. It wasn't great. No, it wasn't great. The head coach, the previous head coach didn't do a good job, but they walked into a pretty decent situation, but they've made it work. And Andy, the, the injuries on offense have been ridiculous. Oh yeah. Eight, if you look at it, if you just look at the first depth chart of the season, eight of the position groups are without their starters. Eight of 11. Okay, now, now if that were the Niners, it'd be a national story. If it was Ohio State, we'd be everybody be talking about it. But it's Nebraska. It flies under the radar, but it's eight of 11 is ridiculous. Yeah, and, and like Billy Kemp was supposed to be the, the best receiver on the team. He, he's been out, uh, you know, Offensive linemen have been knocked out. It is it is amazing that they've been able to put a functional offense on the field, but it feels like the defense has really kind of kept them afloat. Yeah. Oh, it's the defense, Andy. The offense uh, just hit on the offense for a second. They they just been decimated at receiver. You mentioned you mentioned Camp, and he was probably their best one. They also lost Marcus Washington, who was arguably their best one. It was one of those two. And they lost Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, a senior who was, you know, a starter. He's a starter. And even before that, they lost Xavier Betts, who just left the team because he he his heart wasn't at the football. So they lost their top four receivers. Um, that's all. You know, they just lost their top. <laughs> just four. easy, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but and then and then Andy, they lost their top two running backs. You know, so top four receivers, top two running backs. It's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And it's funny because you think about the the traditional Big Ten West style of play, and Matt Rule didn't come in to do that. He didn't come in intending to do that, yet he's going to wind up doing that, and it's working, though. Yeah, it's it. Well, you know what's really interesting, Andy? You've been around. We're both olds to a certain extent. You've you've seemed to hold up better than I do, which I don't understand. Uh, but I, you were around when Nebraska was running pure option, you know, down the yeah. line traditional option um, during the Osborne years, during the Solich years. And now they're doing it again. And it wasn't anything that it wasn't anything that Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator knew how to teach. He had to yeah. learn, he had to learn himself. And he got help from a guy named Ron Brown, who was the running backs coach at Nebraska for many years in the glory years. And um, who's still on the staff and, and even Osborne has helped Tom Osborne himself has helped. So Rule really embraces the past here. Not only embraces it, he uses elements of it. They run quite a bit an option of, a, of the option attack with Heinrich Harburg and Andy. I mean, he's 6'5", 220. And when he turns a corner, it's business time. I mean, he's 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 pretty good running that. He's pretty good keeping the ball. He's got to learn how to pitch it a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it does seem like something that, that fits into Heinrich Harburg's skill set. And that's... But that in and of itself is a change and an adaptation because the idea was it was going to be Jeff Sims. You know, the, the Minnesota game, the Colorado game, too many turnovers just couldn't stick with Jeff Sims. And they had to go with Harburg. He maybe he wasn't even ready. And now mm -hmm. they've found a way to use him and mm -hmm. use him fairly effectively. Yeah. They, yeah. Well, he's five and one for you know, somehow. And then you've, you've touched on it. It's the defense. It's the defensive oriented team. They lean hard on their defense. The offense is an interesting story. Now, Andy, they with Sims, the intent was they 
here's here's the way Rule characterized what he wanted the offense to be going into the season. They want to they want to hit teams with body blows, body blows on the ground. They, they had a big running back, Gabe Urban, you know, six foot, two hundred twenty five pounder. Hit teams with body blows, use play action, mix in some option, and and there's your offense. So they do they did want to be a running a run yeah. first offense with play action and Sims Sims could have run the same type of uh, plays that Harburg's running. They're pretty similar actually. So they just it just seems like with Harburg they elected to go to more option. Yeah. Well, and and that, again that defense has been spectacular since yes. I mean from the jump. It was amazing against Minnesota that certainly wasn't the fault of the defense that they lost that game. Uh who has really stood out? Who, who, you know, who you didn't know was going to be very good this year has become a star now. Andy, um, it's they have an interesting unit because there's no, there's no Randy Gregory, Levante David, Sue, Sue. There's no Sue. There's no. I don't even know if there's a first team All Big Ten player on on the defense. Is that you say are the closest thing to stars well, up front, Nash? Hutmacher, who they call the polar bear, has been really good. As, <laughs> yeah, he's a big kid from South Dakota, um, big blonde-haired kid from South Dakota, hence his name, Polar Bear. Um, and he um, he's been a bit of a wrecking ball in the middle, middle guard, plays over the center. Um, then right next to him, Ty Robinson has been good, a defensive tackle. Doesn't put up, I mean, doesn't put up like big tackle numbers, but he take he commands a lot of double teams, which allows the polar bear to roam or get more one-on-ones and get more done. Oh, on the back end, they got a kid named Isaac Gifford, who's really Isaac Gifford is a is just a he's having a great year. He had ten tackles yesterday. He's very reliable, but he's also he'll, he's very reliable, but he's also he'll mix in some big plays. They have, you know, and, you know, I should mention that they have an inside linebacker named Luke Reimer as a senior. And Andy, he'll, he, he'll, he'll finish as Nebraska's all-time, third-leading all-time tackler. Um, and he might even sneak into second behind Barrett Root. So he's been very wow. productive. Yeah, behind Barrett Root. Um, he's been very productive over his career. He's been a little banged up this year, but is st- – his, he's, he, he is his usual reliable self. Well, it, it, it has been fun to watch this because this is not what we've gotten used to over the last few years. They're, they're oh. finally experiencing some joy, figuring out how to win. Even, even one possession games, they, they know how to win now. So uh, very different. Steve Sipple, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see what happens in Michigan State. Andy, we'll do it again sometime, okay? All right, thank you. That is Steve Sipple. And yes, Nebraska fans have reason to be excited because they're going to get bowl eligible at least. They're going to win at least one more. So you got that. If we just said that at the beginning of the year, is Nebraska going to get bowl eligible? The answer would, if it was yes, would have been, okay, that's great. That's the first step. Anything else is gravy. But the thing is, the gravy might be on the way. But... We'll see what happens. I I think the bowl eligibility can come this week at Michigan State, which would make everybody in Nebraska very happy, which would be the opposite of what everybody was at Kentucky. Our friend Nick Roush from Kentucky Sports Radio, I believe he spoke for all of Big Blue Nation 
after the Kentucky loss to Tennessee. Here's Nick. And now we're stuck here. Mark Stoops is 2-9 and nine against his team. And to walk around this place before the game, I was disgusted. The smugness of those guys just walking around like, huh, we're going to walk in here, we're going to kick your ass, and you can't do anything about it. And it made me sick. And you know what? They did it. They still did it. What the hell? Can we not? Can we just beat this team? I know, I know, I know that Mark Stoops has done a lot of good things. This is his one really bad thing. The stupid stat about beating teams with a winning record and taking the next step and blah, blah. Just freaking beat Tennessee. Please, can we just, can we just stop losing to this stupid team with their stupid orange colors and their stupid song and their woo, woo, get their woo on out of here. I think Nick feels better after that. I do. And I'm glad he got that off his chest. We're going to get some things off our chest this week. We got picks coming up Monday night. Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal, the original college football podcast, will join us to be our special guest picker. You can follow me. You can fade me. And oh, yeah, we're definitely taking the Iowa under. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. 